here this morning. Welcome to King's. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're with us. Um, now, this morning, we're, we're going to continue uh, a little series that we've been doing, a little teaching series uh, called Brand New, How Jesus Transforms Everything. And, and last week, kind of Jim um, started looking at our priorities and how our priorities are transformed. And we're going to be continuing looking at our priorities this morning. We're kind of carry on looking at that theme because it's a big one. And, and if you remember, Jim last week, he had all these different kind of boxes stacked up on stage, kind of signifying all these different kind of priorities that we have in our life. You know, work, money, property, <clears throat> family, health, cheese. Jim had up there, I'd probably replace this with chocolate and cheese, probably. Um, but there are all these different things that we just try and juggle in life. You know, we try and hold them all, we try and juggle them with kind of mixed results. And I don't know about you, but the more things I try and juggle in life, you know, the, the worse I end up getting at things generally. So, you know, one thing I can hold, I could hold friendship and I could, I could be all right at that. But if I add another thing in and I try and hold leisure, you know, I can do these two things pretty well. But if I try and, you know, the more I try and hold, the worse I get at things. You ever find that? The more you try and juggle in terms of priorities, the worse you get, and I, incidentally, I find this is true with parenting as well, you know. One child, I was doing absolutely fine. I was doing all right. One child, you know, at the time didn't feel like it, but looking back, it was okay. You know, two children, we were doing okay, but then someone said to me, whatever you do, don't have three, you know. Don't try and juggle three children. I should have looked at their faces and realized, you know, you look gaunt, you know, I should listen to you. But I didn't, I'm my, I'm my own man. And so, you know, we had three children. And, and it's like that now. I feel like, you know, I'm just juggling kids. I'm like, Amy, William, Grace, Amy, William, Grace, all that time. That's how we go through life. And uh, we try and juggle multiple priorities. And each one of us has like a different capacity. Some people, I've discovered, have an extraordinary capacity to be able to juggle all of these things and more at any one time and, and maintain a kind of level of excellence in all these sorts of things. Do you ever, you know, these sorts of people that just have this amazing capacity? You know, maybe you got a Christmas newsletter from one of them, um, just kind of telling you about all the things they've managed to juggle this year. You know, they've kind of built an extension personally on the back of their house whilst starting a business and keep teaching their kids, you know, physics whilst walking up Everest, flipping pancakes. I mean, they can do extraordinary amounts of things, high levels of capacity. But for each one of us, um, there comes a point where we can't carry everything. And uh, in this series, the verse that we've been kind of referring to, and we're going to keep on referring to it over the next few weeks, is, is this. It says, therefore, it says in the Bible, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And this new that newness that comes from following Christ includes our priorities and our ability to, to manage them. And last week, we, we looked at one of these priorities, and today we're going to continue. We're going to look at another priority that comes. And we're going to do that by looking at an interaction that Jesus has with a Jewish man that we, we discover in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And in verse 25 of, of chapter 10, we read that an expert of the law, that is to say, a guy that um, professionally spends his life 
uh, kind of understanding the Jewish law, the, the laws of God written down in the Old Testament. An expert of the law stood up to test Jesus and asked him a few questions. And the first one he asked was this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, he's saying, what do my priorities need to be? What are the things I need to prioritize in my life in order to ensure I get into heaven? You know, maybe you've got the same question. What do I need to do in order to make sure when I die I'm going to be okay? What do my priorities need to be? And Jesus replied, what's written in the law? He said, well, you know, you're the expert. How how do you read it? He's saying, you're the expert. You spend your life looking at the laws of God. You know what is required of you. How do you read it? And what we don't read is that there's then this kind of long pause as the guy kind of stands trying to stroke in his beard, trying to think of an appropriate response to his own question. Now, he, he's an expert in the law. He, he knows all the laws. If he was on mastermind, right, he, his chosen subject would be the 613 Mosaic laws of the Old Testament, and he would get every single one of them absolutely right. So he knows that what the law says, and, and he knows that you can summarize the 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 law of God, into two priorities. And so his response to Jesus is this. He says, priority number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. It's a direct quote from one of the books of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. And then he says, priority number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, it's a, a quote from Leviticus. Now, they are the overarching priorities which God commands his people to live by. Love God with every fiber of your being, which is what we kind of looked at last week. Love God. Here we have it. Love God with everything you have. Priority number one. Priority number two, love people. They are the two priorities that Jesus talks about, that, that, that the Old Testament talks about. Love God, love people. And you might think, you know, that's fairly easy. Jesus responds to him, and he says, you have answered correctly. Do this, do these two things. Make these two things a priority. Love God, love people. And he says, you will inherit eternal life. You will live, he says. Eternity is yours if you love God and love people. And you might think, you know, two things, that's pretty straightforward. I can do two things, that's easy. You know, I'm used to juggling six or seven things. Two things I can do. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, I remember a time when my children were younger. I'm out at a restaurant and I'm eating and I've got one child on my lap, you know, just feeding them like this. But I'm also trying to simultaneously feed myself. But also, I've got Amy in a car seat and I'm walking her trying to make sure she sleeps while feeding the other child and feeding myself, praying, God, please don't let her wake up until I've eaten pudding. You know, I I can do lots of things, two things, no problem at all. That should just be a walk in the park. But for everyone, no matter how high your levels of capacity are, no matter how many things you're successful at juggling at any one time, you do not have the ability to love God and love people, no matter how hard you try. And the expert of the law, he he knew that these two priorities are huge. There's nothing wrong with the command of God to love people. In fact, 
You know, it's the strap line of our church. It's on our letter-headed people. Love God, love, love people. It's on our letter-headed paper. There's nothing wrong with it, but they're very hard to do, you know, by your own strength. You, you may start and try and see if you can kind of pick it up for a bit, you know, but it's, it's heavy. It, if you could carry it for a little bit, maybe. You, you could carry this for a while. You could try and love people, but after a while, you know, you would just run out of puff because it's hard work loving people all the time. Under your own strength, you might be able to do it for a bit, but there will come a point where it's just not sustainable. You can't love people like that all the time. And, and the guy, the expert of the law, he knew that these priorities were hard. And so what do we do when we discover something is difficult? What we do is we try and make the task simpler. So this is exactly what the expert of the law does. He, he says, oh, hang on a minute, okay. Okay, I, I would just like clarification on who. I know one of my priorities is to love people, but I, can you just, I just want to know who. I just, what he's trying to do is he's trying to reduce this list down. He's trying to make it more manageable. And he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, can you just kind of clarify who am I meant to love? I mean, are we talking just family, friends? Are we talking people in the same nation as me? Are we talking about people that have got the same kind of political persuasion as me? Who? He's basically he's trying to make this into this. He's saying, I, I need something that I can carry. I, I can't love people, everyone, so can you just give me something that's manageable? And instead of Jesus kind of giving him a list of who he should love, what he does is he tells him a parable. It's a story with a meaning. <clears throat> and he says this to the man. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and, they, and he went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds and poured on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you, have, you may have. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who showed mercy on him, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It's an extraordinary uh, story include, involving a man that was attacked and left for dead, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And, and let's just kind of remind ourselves that Jesus is still answering the original question, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? What do my main priorities need to be, particularly loving people? How, how do I do it? How do I love people? Who should I love? And in the story, the man that was attacked is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a distance of about 18 miles. You can still see it today. You know, it's a rugged terrain. It's um, a desolate place. 
There's no villages or houses in between Jericho and Jerusalem. You know, there's no architectural evidence to say there was things down there. No, you went from Jerusalem to Jericho, nothing in between. And as a result, it's kind of a hot spot for, for robbers. And a priest is traveling along the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he sees a man lying naked, half dead, which presumably means he was unconscious by the side of the road. And we're told that the man just kind of walks past him. Now, now context is everything here, so we need to just understand a few things. Firstly, that priests lived in Jericho. They generally lived in Jericho, and they would go and and work in the temple of Jerusalem. And they would work there for kind of a two-week stint, and then they would travel back home to Jericho. So we're told that this man is is not on his way to work. He's not in a rush to get to work. You know, if you when you have the rush hour in the morning, you don't normally see like, people just ambling along to the train station with a coffee, with all the time in the world. No, they're, they're, they're there, they're going at speed, they've got a, a mission, they need to get to work. This guy's not busy trying to get to work. He's on his way back from work. He's coming back from work. And so to stop actually would be to inhibit his, his, his personal life, his time with family and friends. But it's more than that. What we need to understand is that this guy is, is, is unconscious. He doesn't know whether he's dead or not. He looks pretty dead. If the priest touches him, then by Jewish law, he has to travel all the way back up. If he touches him and finds that he's dead, he has to travel all the way back up to Jerusalem and go for a week-long cleansing rituals because priests were not allowed to touch dead bodies. And so that would be hugely inconvenient, you know, to, to touch him, find he's dead, or oh, I've got to go back up to Jerusalem. That's my personal time has just been squashed. The only obligation he has to help the man is if he's a Jew. The fact he didn't suggests that this naked man was lying face down rather than face up. Because a naked Jewish man lying face up would be pretty obvious. I'll explain that to you afterwards if you need to know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So the expert in the law that's listening to to Jesus would have thought, no, under the law, he he had no obligation to help the man. He did absolutely the right thing to, to walk on past. The next person that comes along is a Levite. Again, this is a guy that works uh, in the temple of Jerusalem. He is an assistant to the priest. And he comes along and he he sees this guy that looks pretty dead lying there. Now, he's got a dilemma as well. He's on his way home. To to do anything with this guy is going to be a huge inconvenience to his, his life. But also, he's got this added dilemma. You know, he is the assistant to the priest. He would have known the priest. He knows that the priest is further down the road to him on his way to Jericho. What does he do? If the priest saw fit not to help the man, who's he to help him? You know, if he was to kind of sling the guy on his donkey and ride into Jericho, you know, that would be a huge insult to the priest. You know, well, you didn't help him, my boss, but I did. It's a huge insult. It's reeked with difficult decisions. And so he decides, you know what? I don't have any obligation to help this man. And off he goes. Off he goes. And the guy listening would have thought, you know what? He made the right decision not to help. 
Now, at this point in the story, the expert of the law and everyone else that's kind of li- listening at this point is aware that Jesus' story is going in a certain direction. There's three groups of people that kind of work in the temple. You've got the priests, you've got the Levites, and you've got these laymen. And um, so everyone is expecting that Jesus is now going to um, introduce the layman, say, well, there's a priest, there's a Levite, and the next person that came along was a layman. It would be like me saying, you know, there was an Englishman, Irishman, and Scotsman. You know, it's just kind of standard. That's who he's expecting. But at this point, Jesus adds a twist to the story. Because the next person that Jesus says is coming down the road is not a fellow Jew. It's not the third worker in the temple. It's a Samaritan. Shock, horror. Samaritans and Jews are arch enemies. They have been for generations. The idea of a Samaritan coming to the aid of a stranger and continuing to help when he realizes it's his arch enemy would be absolutely shocking. But even though the Samaritan came across someone who was his enemy, it says that he had compassion on him. And his compassion led him to act in the most extraordinary way towards his enemy. It says he bandaged and tended his wounds as best he could. He put him on a donkey and took him to an inn. Now, we know there was no kind of inns or settlements along the road. The people that were listening to Jesus would have known that he was talking about taking the man to Jericho. This enemy, his enemy's town, to riding into the middle of his enemy's town to take care of him. And he checks him into a hotel, and the next day as he's preparing to leave, he gives the hotel manager everything he needs to ensure that this man is well looked after. And he promises to give him more when he returns. This Samaritan didn't just kind of help a little bit. He used all of his available resources, everything he had to care for the man that was in need. His possessions, his transport, his time, his money, absolutely everything. The decision to show that sort of love was immense. The extent of his compassion and mercy meant that his enemy's life was saved. He didn't just kind of dump him at the edge of Jericho and say, you know what, I've done my bit, I've partially helped, I'm going to leave him here and just hope for the best. No, he, he, his commitment to him was in full. He was committed to the man's recovery. He didn't just kind of do a partial job. He was in it to finish the job, whatever the cost to himself, to pay for it out of his own pocket. And the result of that kind of love and mercy was to ensure that his enemy was not just kind of partially restored, but was fully restored from dead to fully alive. Now, the cost to show that kind of love towards someone who doesn't, you know, think much of you, who doesn't like you at all, is high. But Jesus isn't just kind of quite done yet, uh, given the extent of what the Samaritan did. You know, here's the thing we often look, like Jesus' parables, like so many of his parables, are kind of open-ended, leaving the listener to kind of supply the, the kind of conclusion. At the end of this parable, the Samaritan is still in Jericho. He's still in his enemy's town. So the question is, did he make it out alive? 
Did he make it out alive? There's a guy called um, Kenneth Bailey, and he, he wrote a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, and he gives a really helpful illustration. He says, imagine this story is set in kind of North America in the 1850s, and a, a Native American comes across a cowboy that is lying on the middle of nowhere with arrows sticking out of his back. And he goes up to him and he kind of slings him across his horse and he rides into the middle of Dodge City. He checks into a saloon, he cares for the, ma- the guy overnight, and at the end of the, uh, the next morning, he comes down, he goes to the bar, he puts some money down, and he says, I'll, I'll pay anything else that the man needs. And then he goes through the swing doors into the middle of Dodge City. What happens to him? Does he make it out alive? Is he lynched? We don't know. At the end of the story, we're left wondering what happened to the Samaritan. Whether or not he was killed or not, the question remains, why did the Samaritan risk his life to that extent for someone who hated him? And the answer is, it was the only possible way to ensure that the man survived. And at the end of the story, Jesus asked the expert of the law, he said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? You know, which one demonstrated, you know, love? You can sense that the guy can't even bring himself to say it was his Samaritan, it was his enemy. He just says the one who had mercy. And Jesus simply replies, go and do likewise. Go and love people in the way that will inconvenience you, in a way that will affect your finances and your resources and your time, not sparingly, but extravagantly. Go and love people even at the potential of the cost of your own life, not just those who will love you back. They're the kind of easy ones. Go and love people that hate you. Go and show kindness to them. That's the kind of love that God is looking for. And the Jewish man would have gone away kind of very disappointed because he was looking for an easy-to-do list. He was looking for something that was manageable, but he had this command to love people, which is not an achievable priority, but instead something he knows he cannot do it on his own. And so we're stuck. Because if we're honest, we don't have the desire to love people no matter who they are in this sort of way. We don't have the ability to do it. We don't even have the desire to do it, actually. Even if we tried, we wouldn't be able to sustain it for very long. But this series that we're in is, called, is not called Brand New, How You Can Transform Everything. It's not called Brand New, How You Can Try Harder and You'll Attain It. Please don't think that this series is some sort of self-help series. It's not. This series is called Brand New, How Jesus Transforms Everything. And in this story, the Samaritan shows incredible compassion, love, and overwhelming mercy to someone whose attitude has been completely set against him. Even though he didn't deserve it, the Samaritan inconvenienced himself, gave up all of his resources for him, put himself in danger to pay for his life to be restored. Is there ever a possibility that we could have our priorities transformed so that we could show that sort of love to other people? 
The answer is, yes, it is. It is possible. But before you can give this sort of love, you need to receive it. You need to experience it. Tim Keller, in his book, Generous Justice, he says this, Only if you see that you have been saved graciously by someone who owes you the opposite will you go out into the world and help absolutely anyone in need. Once you've received this ultimate, radical neighbor love through Jesus, we can start being the neighbors that the Bible calls us to be. The only way we can have our priorities change and spend ourselves loving people and giving our time and our energy and our finances and our resources, even risking our lives for other people, is if we experience this kind of kindness ourselves. It changes you. It transforms you. You might say, well, I've not, never experienced that sort of love, so how can I do it? I want to tell you that it's possible to experience that kind of love through Jesus. You know, the reality is this. The, the story Jesus told the expert of the law is about us. In the story, you and I are the men and women lying face down, half dead on the side of the road, living broken lives, dead in sin, beaten up by life's choices, you know, without hope, desperately in need for someone to come and rescue and restore us. And maybe sometimes we get a glimpse of someone or something and we think, they're going to help me, they're going to come and rescue me. And we pin our hopes on them and then when they come, they just kind of keep on walking. And they end up being no help at all. And then Jesus comes to us. And even though we had been his enemies, he has moved with compassion towards us. He grabs hold of us. He picks us out of the state we're in, and he deals with our wounds. He spends himself, even to the extent of his own life, to ensure that we are made fully alive at great cost to himself. Such was his affection for you and I. In the story, Jesus is our good Samaritan. This Jesus that we've been singing about this morning... The Apostle Paul, he puts it like this. He says, you see, at just the right time, when you're still powerless, in other words, when you were just lying face down on the ground without being able to help yourself, in desperate need to be rescued, but weak, he says, once you are still powerless, he says, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love in this, that whilst you were still sinners, whilst you were still enemies of God, whilst you still hated God, whilst you, you know, really weren't bothered about God, it says Christ died for us. He paid for us to be made fully alive. He inconvenienced himself for us, gave up everything freely for us. You and I didn't deserve that kind of mercy. We were opposed to God. The Bible says it was an act of grace. It's by grace you've been saved. In other words, the answer to the man's question, what do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life, is all nothing. It's an act of mercy by a loving God. It's received through faith, by grace, so that no one can 
boast. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I, I do, I'm, there's something in me knows that my life is broken. That's why I'm here this morning. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I understand that I need rescuing. I, I feel beaten up. I've made loads of choices in my life that have not been great choices. I, I, I feel like I need rescuing. I've tried all sorts of different things, but they haven't helped. In a couple of minutes, I'm going to pray a prayer. And you need to know that Jesus, the good Samaritan, he wants to come and rescue you this morning. You can know that overwhelming love, that sense of peace. You can know your wounds being healed. And once you understand and receive that kind of love, it transforms you, including how you, you know, view other people. You know, remember the verse, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You know, part of what happens when Jesus, the good Samaritan, grabs hold of you and heals you and mends your wounds is that he puts a new heart in you. He puts his heart in you. What we are unable to do before, what we are even unwilling to do before, becomes our heart's pursuit in how we love people widely. You know, the Bible is, is littered with example after example of, of God's heart for those that are in need, whether spiritually, materially, physically, emotionally. God heart, God's heart breaks for those that are in need. And when the early church began, what we read is they're gathered together and it says things like this. There was no needy person among them. Why? Because they had understood what Jesus, the good Samaritan, had done for them. The fact that they had received an incredible gift of love freely. And it transformed them to the point where there's no needy people among them because they just can't help it. They're sacrificially giving their resources and their time and their energy and everything because to see people in need breaks their heart. When Paul uh, is commissioned to go and kind of uh, preach the gospel to, to the Gentiles, you know, he's, he goes off and he's, he's commissioned by the other apostles and he says, all they asked was that I should continue to remember the poor. And then he says, the one thing I was eager to do. There's no sense of obligation anymore. There's no sense of, mm, I better try and love people. Do you, you, you hear that? I was eager to do it. God's love's transforming. I, I realize I'm the reciprocant of incredible grace. I've been healed. I've been restored. He's paid everything for me. I'm eager now to demonstrate the same thing. It's, it's a transforming work that's happened. There's no hint of obligation. And what you discover is that individuals and communities that they, they give in the Bible, they give themselves freely as they have received freely. If you try and love people in your own effort, you will always get to the point where you run out of puff. Or someone just, you find too annoying to love. But when Jesus comes, 
and we understand what he's done for us, he transforms us. Once we experience his saving grace, Jesus the Good Samaritan, he gives us the ability to love people wholeheartedly, to give sacrificially, to to care for those that are in need, not just partially, not just we'll care for people for a bit and then we'll leave them there and someone can finish off the rest. No, we care for people until they own need no more. That's what we're called to do. You know, sometimes if you think, do you know what, that just feels hard work. You know what we need to do? We need to come back to God and say, God, I, I need you because I can't do this on my own. Sometimes we can get maybe what I call compassion fatigue. You ever get that? It just feels like you're like wanting to help people, wanting to give yourself sacrificially to other people, and then it's, but it's hard work. This is, we're not talking about something that's easy to do. This is hard work to do. And after a while, it, boom, it hits you and it hits you and you can just feel, oh, do you know what, this is getting hard work again. You know what we need to do? We need to take ourselves back and remember what we have received. Say, Holy Spirit, come and fill my heart again. I don't want to be fatigued. I want to give myself fully because I have received fully from you. We're going to take communion um, together and just remember together the mercy that God has has given us. Why why don't we stand and we're just going to respond uh, for a moment.